Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name's Matt Wakeley, and thank you so much for joining me. Now this week we speak to Rod McQueen, the man behind Sliders Pickups. Now Sliders Pickups have a very singular goal in mind, and that's to make uh, the very best in vintage correct pickups. And, uh, you know... Lots of people make pickups these days. In fact, the market is flooded with so many options. But Rod's pickups have had fantastic success. And the proof is really in the pudding of professional guitarists who have chosen to use them. So people like Peter Northcott, Troy Casadaly, Ian Moss, um, Johnny Diesel, Seb Bartles, uh, all choose and use sliders pickups. So that's a, a huge endorsement. And in fact, it was through guests like Peter Northcott and... Uh, Troy Casadaly that, that I thought, wow, it'd be great to speak with the man himself. If you remember our interview with Troy uh, Casadaly, you might remember Troy mic'd up his rig and recorded his end of the conversation up in Brisbane, sent it to me in Sydney, and we put it together. And Troy's strat tone was unbelievably just beautiful, just fantastic. So uh, check that out if you've not if you've not heard it. Now, Rod's got some very firm ideas on what uh, is important in making a great guitar tone in terms of equipment, gear, the player. And he's got some firm ideas, um, to put in his own words, of which items are further down the food chain. So it was very a very interesting conversation and really cool to have Rod on the show. All right, let's just jump straight into it. Rod McQueen, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Uh, cheers, Matt. Good to hear from you. Thanks, mate. Thanks for thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. No, it's great. Like I said to you earlier, I hadn't really sort of been a follower of podcasts until recently, and um, yeah, I saw you know what you'd been doing, and there's been some amazing people on there and great stories. So I thought, yeah, I'd be really keen to get involved. Oh, that's awesome. Well, funny thing is, I I didn't know about your pickups until I until I started the podcast, and one of my first guests was Peter Northcote, who's probably the most recorded session guitar player in Australia. And one of the things he said was that he didn't really like strats. He's played probably every guitar under the sun, but he didn't really like strats until he met you and got a set of your pickups in there. And then not long after that, um, I spoke to Troy Cassadaly, who raved about your pickups, and I found out Ian Moss is a big fan of, of your work as well. And um, So, yeah, there's obviously something great going on over at Slider's Pickups. Yeah, well, I guess it's, you know, I just don't try and do anything special. I don't try and reinvent the wheel as such. Um, I just do what Fender did back in the day. And if you do that correctly, which isn't necessarily that easy, you, you tend to get good results. And um, guys like those that you've just spoken about, um, you know, very experienced guys, they, they pick up on those things, you know, almost immediately and they hear the things that they've been looking for a long while. And uh, unless you sort of do all the things that were done back in the day, you know, you don't really get that. Okay, yeah. If we can go back a little then, what's what's your guitar backstory? Were you, were you playing guitar before you got involved oh, in electronics and stuff? Not really. I've always been a fiddler and uh, like one of my favourite sayings is the old Clint Eastwood, you know, a good man knows his limitations and I'm not really a, a gifted guitar player. I'm just sort of more of a pentatonic banger and a, you know, but I've always enjoyed them and I've always found them, you know, a fascination. And that really led me to this whole, you know, years ago, what the hell is this whole vintage strap thing about? Why are these old guitars worth, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was kind of, I guess, more my motivation than, um, you know, 
but being a player and trying to find the ultimate guitar for me, I guess it was more a, a, a quest to find out what this whole vintage strat or vintage tone was all about. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I, that, I kind of went down that path rather than as a player, more as a, almost a historian, if you like. Okay. Um, a little bit of an Indiana Jones thing, you know, archaeology, trying to find out what, what was going on. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, so I you know, had a, a sort of cheap, nasty strat. Not, um, you know, I've had a few of them over the years, and I thought, well, look, um, I, I basically thought, look, these fenders were made in a little garage on a corner, you know, by Leo and you know, Fender and a few of his mates in Fullerton in the 50s. So mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't rocket science. They weren't really building space shuttles. So I figured I'd, you know, investigate this whole process. And the starting point for me was the pickups. And um, basically what I did was I sourced around, did some research, and there was a fair bit about it. You know, Seymour Duncan and other people like that had, had released quite a bit of information on what they considered was being done back in the day. Uh-huh. So um, I fiddled around and, and spent, you know, quite a while sourcing parts and materials to, to get enough stuff to, to make myself a set of these pickups. And there's no books on this. There's no course that you can do. So I was kind of had to sort of, you know, feel my way through and invent parts and make things for myself and machines as I went. So I basically converted a few things, made a little pickup winder and got this stuff together and made myself a set of these vintage pickups, you know, as I understood them to be made. Okay. When, when was and this, I, right? This was about 2007. Okay, okay, yep. Uh, 2006, 2007. Anyway, so bottom line, more if I got enough stuff to make these things, I made a set of strap pickups and stuck them in this old guitar, and that sounded fantastic. So, um, you know, I, I thought that was great, and a few friends heard it, and I thought it was great. And I had enough stuff, because I couldn't just buy enough to make one set, so I had a bit left over, so I made myself another set of these and stuck them on eBay, and they sold. So, you know, I talked them up, stuck them on eBay, and they sold, and I got some good feedback, and it just went on from there. So I kept making these things and researching, and it wasn't long before I got a guy contact me saying, hey, look, um, I saw you talking your stuff up there on eBay and all the rest of it. I've got an original L-series strap that the pickups died in. Are you able to fix them? And I said, oh, yeah, of course, I'm a legend. I can do that. So these <laughs> things arrived. And all of a sudden, um, I had the, you know, the real deal things in front of me to add to my sort of knowledge base, if you like. So, yeah, okay, wow. So once this started happening, it really opened the door up. And I'm that, my background, I'm a kind of guy that came out as more, you know, I like making models and I'm very meticulous and quite OCD. So I started recording everything and copying everything exactly and basically reverse engineered everything. So that's where it all, that's where it really started to ramp up for the accuracy of getting these things how they were done. Right. When, when you saw the uh, the L series, was did it confirm what you were already doing with with your own pickups, or did it change some of your ideas, or what happened when you well, finally saw some? Well, when you first see them, it's a visual thing. I mean, I, I already knew the specs pretty much, so yep. I knew that you know the pole piece diameters, the you know, one nine six, sure. and all this other stuff, and so all that was there. But little things about beveling and and the way the wire was applied and the you know, they're knowing what was going on inside because effectively 
90% of the time when these things have issues, which they're starting to do now, being 60-odd-year-old. Sure, yeah. They tend, to, they tend to rot out from the inside. So there's very often, you know, not many options but to remove the coil. And once you do that, you really, you, it's an autopsy. You're laying the whole thing open. Um, and you can start to see how it was done and, and, you know, what mysteries were going on. And effectively, you know, that that's where I started to replicate things that made a lot more difference to the tone than, than just, you know, making them look right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, and that's been happening ever since. So since, you know, the mid-2000s, I think I've had people send me from all over the world, strap tally, jazz bass pickups from virtually every year from the golden period, I reckon. So let's call it right from the original 54 strats Fifty-two tallies and earlier, right through to the seventies. So, I, and I've documented every one of these things and photographed them in detail. Wow! So, and so that's um, and so that's been fantastic. So, I when anyone sends me something for repair, yep. it's also a, a little sort of another page in the, the book of history, if you like. And you know, you'll get these pickups arrive for the repair, and you'll have a look at them, and you know, they're base stamp, you know. 64 in yellow ink and they've got AY on them. You know, these are an original set of Abigailia Barras. Yeah, wow. So, you know, I'm cutting off this wire that Abigail put on, you know, yeah, 1964. So Abigail, um, I'm a player, you know, before any technical knowledge. So I come from the other side, I guess. But um, So I'll probably ask you some dumb questions as we go. But Abigail Barra, as I understand, it was it's kind of like the rock star of vintage... Uh, she was the the winder at Fender. Is that right? Yeah, she was. Oh, look. I, effectively, I think, and this is all my, you know, the way I look at it. Now, I'm pretty much what I not far off what Fender was doing in the fifties. Just a little, you know, shop that's hand winding pickup. Yeah. Yep. And he he would have employed cheap labour and people to make these things. And if I was working for you, Matt, I would last about a week. But, you know, it's not something that's would hold your interest tremendously sitting there just making pickups day after day. Okay, yep. So effectively, my opinion of the whole thing was he had a bunch of Mexican women that were making these pickups for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that is key to where a lot of this, which I can get into in a minute, That this is key to where the tone and, and why these things perform as they did. Abigail, for some reason, managed to stick it out for, you know, until I think only a couple of years ago, which yeah, is an amazing well, feat. Yeah. But it's quite interesting, you know, there are video around now, film converted to video, showing Abigail winding pickups. And um, it's quite interesting because as a pickup winder, I can see a few little things that she's doing that's different. Okay. So I think I've nailed the little Abigail secrets as well. Yeah, wow. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Quite interesting. Yeah, I but, love um, I love all that, that history and the personal side of it. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. So it's like you get to a point where if if you go out there and you say, you know, I, I generally make say strap pickups in batches of three three sets. Uh-huh. Um, so there's quite a limit to what you can produce, and that would have been a real limiting factor. Um, in the early days for Fender, and, and so you either put more people on and that increases costs. And so at, at obviously at that point when um, CVS bought them, um, they ditched all the workers and they put these machines on, and that was 
you know, really the turning point to the old vintage tone because once you take that human hand out of the, the building process, you really, um, you know, change the, the whole dynamic of the, of the pickup, which is the key component to getting the tone out of these guitars. Okay. When, um, so when you're talking about the golden era, and I notice your line of, of pickups, the sliders pickups, you don't have heaps and heaps of models. You keep it pretty straightforward. You kind of break into a few different categories. Could you talk us through maybe Strat and Tellys? And I know you only offer one humbucker, according to your website anyway. Um, can you kind of outline the main eras of, uh, of these yeah, pickups sure. that you think are important? All right. Look, people... I mean, I've I got to point the bone. I'd say Seymour Duncan came out with this list, that, um, and it's been published. It's floating around the internet of what Fender were producing in, you know, in fifty-eight, fifty-nine, sixty, sixty-one. Okay. Um, according to him, and you know, it's it's to me, it's quite you know, it's a little misleading. Um, I would the re- firstly the reason I. Originally, when I was looking at getting some, you know, vintage pickups, I just wanted a set of pickups like Denver made, you know, these original ones. And you try and find them. I mean, take Duncan. I mean, he's one of the biggest manufacturers in the world. He's got his SSL ones, his SSL fives, his antiquity. Which one are they? Are vintage correct? And you know, the answer is none. But um, so I'm very keenly aware that I don't want to, you know, make a whole bunch of things because even the three or four sets I make cause enough consternation as it is. Okay. <laughs> so, so people wham and are and carry on. But yeah. effectively, and this is my take on the whole thing, so Fender had a bunch of Mexican ladies making these pickups for them. And they sat there at these winding machines and wound the pickups. 8,000 turns of pickup, throw it in the little box and make the next one. Put it in the little box. That's what they did. Mm-hmm. Now, if you take all those pickups and start looking at them individually, there'll be significant variations within them. From, from one lady to the next, from one machine. In the old days, mechanical counters, things changed and they weren't exactly right. And okay. they chatted to each other and they overwound them a bit. Yeah. And if you tug on that wire a little harder than the next person or a little more than you did on the other one, it stretches the wire, that thins it out, and that yeah, increases wow. the resistance. Wow. So that's that's the variation. So to say Fender changed something from 58, you know, to 59 to 60, to me is not true. Okay. They would have been working very hard not to change anything. Right. But... The changes that we now see when we go back and look at these things are more or less a result of those little idiosyncrasies. Okay, okay. Now, so what I try and do is produce a pickup that's very accurate to what they were making back in the day. And, and when I talk back in the day, we can say any time from 1957 to 1963. And sure, Fender did a few strange things in that period. They switched polarity from north to south and some you know, things that didn't really impact on tone and why they did it, you could only speculate. Okay. Probably commonality or to stop people pairing them with Gibson or who knows, but it happened. But um, effectively, other than that, they were doing the same thing. And the changes really came about, I think, from economic reasons. The magnets, they went from a 195 diameter or 187, so they got thinner, smaller. Um, so, yeah, they were the variations. It wasn't a case of, hey, we're going to make them sound a little bit warmer this year or, you know, that, that wasn't, that would not have been the case. 
So that's what I reckon. And okay. I think yeah. what I try and do if you buy one of my pickups is you're just getting something like you managed to get in the Wayback Machine and swing through the office and grab something out of Abigail's little pickup building box before, yep. you know, um, it, it sort of hit the, hit the next stage of production. Okay. But, um, yeah, so... You know, and then they did change a few things when, like I said, CBS came on the scene. They they changed it for the when they went to the grey bottom and changed the wire from a form by coated wire to a plain enamel wire, things like that. And that certainly did have some tonal nuances and changes. Okay, okay, yep. But yeah, for my money, you know, Fender didn't sit there and, and labour over another five or ten turns to you know pick up to change something if it doesn't. Right. So. Right. You know, it was a quite a, a loose sort of process of hand-making things, and I can, you know, explain a little bit about how significant that hand process is compared to what people are buying now from a production pickup that's made by a machine. As sure. soon as a machine's involved, doesn't matter what they tell you, it's not going to have that the, the vintage sort of um, tone, if you like, and, and those little idiosyncrasies and flavours that people... And now paying you know extremely you know large sums of money to get in these old straps. Okay, yeah. So, are you um, given that you're essentially working, like you said, by yourself in your own in your own garage, making uh, making these pickups? You're able to um, replicate some of that more of that human element that's not not available when everything's automated. Yeah. Look, effectively, I'm a. a no, a Mexican woman. I sit there and <laughs> make these things one after the other or yep. at, a, at a machine. Mm-hmm. But I do it consistently and I do it the same yep. and that gives a good result. Whereas yeah, okay. you know, there's not six or seven different people coming and going and, you know, you're throwing in all these little differences and, and that's, you know, why also with vintage pickups, you're not guaranteed to get an amazing guitar every time either. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, they didn't certainly didn't labour over every pickup and look at it and measure it and go, oh, that'll make a fantastic bridge pickup. Yeah, they sure. just threw them. Yeah. So, yeah, but if you do the old-fashioned way, you do get a certain tonal commonality, which is generally, you know, to, to people's um, something that's recognisable and, and generally people um, pay a premium for and really enjoy. Okay. And that's, a, you know, what, what you get out of those vintage straps. So even a bad one's still pretty good. Yeah, right. That's cool. That's very interesting. So I noticed you, I think you've got three different strap models that you sell. So there's, um, I guess working backwards, you've got like a grey bottom style pickup, like a late 60s style pickup. Um, you've got a late 50s-ish kind of model. And then you've got one you call like an SRV, which I think is a little bit hotter. Yeah, look, if... If, if I could only make one set of pickups, I would make that 59 slash SRV pickup, and I wouldn't call it that. It would just be a, a vintage strap pickup. Okay, yeah. But um, I started down that road. I can go back a little bit, um, but it was really I started off, my main market was America, and um, I found that people could relate to that SRV notation because it gave them a reference point. Yeah, sure, um, yeah. And, and I found that if you do it correctly, you, you create a SRV pickup. That's what he had. And, um, you know, if you're good enough, you can do what he did. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, the funny thing was, um, you know, here I am talking myself up on, on eBay at the time, you know, selling these pickups. And I gave myself a, you know, I 
I put a lot of information on there, what I was doing and how I understood these things were working and whatnot. And I got a, me a message from a guy that was the editor of um, Tonequest magazine. And um, he was doing a pickup shootout review. And uh, he said, would you like to send me a couple of sets of pickups and I'll review them? I'd never heard of Tonequest and didn't, I thought, well, that's great, no problem. So off I did, I sent a couple of these pickups off into the ether to this guy, Dave Wilson, over in the States, that runs this Tonequest magazine. Little did I know that it's a subscription-only magazine. Um, they don't, they're not loyal or don't have to be to anybody. Right. They're brutally honest. Um, and people were a little bit hesitant to put their gear into it. So I ended up in this magazine with Lindsay Frail and Roy Bowden from Iris Guitar Works, you know, and a bunch of other top builders, um, Tom Holmes, all these people, and this clown from Sydney called Sliders, no one had ever heard of. So I was automatically lumped into these top, you know, sort of dozen or so pickup builders in the world, and luckily my pickups come out trumps, and you know, I think the bottom line on the whole review at the end was that mine made the rest look like lazy hacks. So I've always man. loved it. Yeah, so I got lucky on that one. So automatically, um, overnight, it went nuts. So I all of a sudden had this um, sort of profile, if you like, where people, it went from, you know, well, why should I buy your pickups to, hey, um, you know, if you've got time, can I get a set? Yeah, wow, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so I had quite a, uh, I, I guess, um, my credentials were a lot higher or my credibility was established, if you like, via that article in a lot of ways. Yeah, nice. In America, whilst here in Sydney, uh, in Australia, no one had heard of it at all. And, and that's still a fairly, you know, uh, common occurrence. So 90, probably nine out of 10 of my pickups go overseas. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's huge. So yeah, so, so via that funny little quirky article and things and Tonequest if any of the listeners have ever seen it um, have a look it's a fantastic magazine and it's a, like I said they, it's not like when you're in a running magazine or something and you know Nike put in the, the big two page colour spread you know when they review the shoes they're going to get a glowing review um, this guy's stuff's you know legit and he's got some you know the people that are testing it are you know Billy Gibbons and guys like that so yeah, it's, wow. you know so anyway, um, I never got my Cully pickups back. Billy's he hung on to them. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so, yeah, it is. So, um, yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, yeah, that, that, how, that, that sort of transpired. So here I'll, so to get back to your point, yeah, so um, that's where the SRV thing came from because this guy had a set and we called them 59 SRV, so I was kind of uh, stuck with it. Okay, yeah, cool. I think the, um, to answer your yeah, sorry to answer your question, yeah, I'd be quite happy to just make a, a late fifties, early sixties black bottom, and and possibly a sixty nine set. Realistically, you you pretty much got them all covered with that anyway. Okay. Nice, very cool. What about tellies? Because I think you've got two main models that you're you're building. Yeah, with. well, in about fifty five, Fender did make a bit of a change. Well, I did a few times, but. Significant change to the tally, mainly to the bridge. They went to a stagger pole bridge. Um, so I tend to make an early one, a broadcaster, no caster style, you know, early 50s, 51, 52 style picker. Okay. Yep. Flush pole. Um, and a later, later, we'll call it a 58 style. Okay. Um, 
So they're my, they're the two. And they, they kind of, the 58 style one are an A5 bridge. They're a brighter and more of a country, your traditional tally thing. The original set, the 52 set were a bit hotter output, um, plush pole. And I make those, I make them intentionally to counter the main problems that people find with telehouses, which is the bridge is too nasty and harsh and sharp and the neck's a bit round, fat and muddy. Yeah, right. Yep. So, and so, again, nine out of ten sets of those and um, I make them so you can put them in the tallies, like Jimi Hendrix said, they've got two tones tallies, a good and a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they, they're they a fantastic set of pickups. They can do everything from, you know, they can sound like a path humbucker in the bridge. You can play it like a, an ACDC or you can, you know, use it for country. But um, again, quite a fussy guitar, Tally. I mean, they're a very simple guitar and everything else, but you've got to get the pickup right in it. Otherwise, you, you just chase your tail. Right, yep. And, you know, that's my sort of, I guess, my understanding of all of the thin body electric guitars. It's all about three things, and it's about the player, the pickups, and the string gauge. Mm-hmm. The rest of the stuff, you know, <laughs> I, I can. You know, arguments will will occur when you start down this path, but effectively the wood and all the rest of it holds a nut and saddle apart. That's all it does. And the the strings strings vibrate in fresh air above a magnet and a magnetic flux pool creates a weak electrical signal and goes out the jack. That's it. So what that wood is, whether it's nitro, finished, or poly, whether it's rosewood or maple, has, you know, minimum impact. It's it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I want to dig into this because I, I I think this is a great topic. And when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, when we were teeing up this interview, um, I loved our five minute conversation. So I've been pretty excited about today. But um, let's let's revisit that idea then, because as again as I said to you on the phone a couple of weeks ago, you know, there's so much. You can just go to any gear page now on the net, and it's just so. I don't know. I get fatigued. There, there are so many tonal recipes and and so many so-called experts because they've seen a YouTube video now um, that'll talk about the tuners or the nut or I changed the material um, yeah. of my saddles or or this or that. And I just think, how can you really know unless you got the whole picture and you you're swapping out one part at a time? So you talk about player strings pickups. Can we go through those one at a time? Sure. Well, look. I guess, you know, people have been coming to me now for well over a decade, and great players and, you know, all sorts of people. Um, and my, put it this way, if you, people, have, guitarists and musicians are, are, are different to say, um, oh, try and pick another uh, hobby that people are right into the technical specs or something, you know, like, um, you know, model aeroplane builders or something, you know, they, they know exactly about angles and guitarists are artists in a lot of cases. They're not necessarily, and I'm being very general because it's, it's sure. variations here, yeah. but they tend to be two types really. They, there's the guys that know all about the guitars and, and wiring and, you know, they can do the intonation and they can, you know, they can know how to use truss rods and refret. And then there's guys that go, hey, I, I'm a player. I, I give it to my tech or I take it to a shop yeah, or, right. you know, yeah. Um, put it this way, I think 
mit der Musikindustrie und Gitarristen um, uh, there's a knowledge gap there that is being exploited by commercial enterprise. Okay. Yep. Um, and these guys have been led to believe a lot of things, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will, will know this themselves, that they've spent years chasing tone, yep. trying different pedals, and, you know, I've, I won't mention names, but I've had guys, guitar techs, bringing guitars around to me, and they've just been pulling their hair out because these guys have been been made to cut the, the cable down inch at a time and put the bloody connector back on because the guy reckon it needed a difference. So, you know, people chase and chase and, you know, it self-perpetuates and the big companies, you know, they've got, they've got a vested interest in that. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, and Rosewood versus Maple and, oh, you know, and, and I know that I'm going to have, well, there can be problems with customers when they say, oh, look, I've got this guitar and it's, sounds fantastic when I play it acoustically but it's a rosewood neck and it's a bit warm so I'm just worried your pickups are going to be like, you know, God. Um, so put it this way, rosewood and maple net, there's been a couple of good videos on the net where guys have just pulled the neck off and left the strings in place and swapped it and then played it again, A-beat it all and said, righto guys, tell us which one's which. Yeah. You can't tell. Yeah, right. Yep. You can't. So if you went into an ice cream parlour and there was all these flavours and you got a chocolate and strawberry and you can't tell the difference or you have to close your eyes and get your mates and five of you to try and tell the difference, there is no difference. Yep, sure. And if, so if you have to still second-guess things and go, oh, look, I reckon there is a difference, mm, mate, hang on, let me hear it again, there's no difference or it's not enough to worry about. And that's the difference we're talking about with all the stuff that is beyond the nut and cell. So, yeah, very interesting. You know, yeah. And, and the other point is, if you're going to change something on a guitar, by the time you've taken the strings off and fiddled around, swapped whatever it is, put it all back together and played it again, most of the time there's been enough variations within that process to cause a change that you, you, you know, won't be able to tell the difference anyway. Right. And I quite often say to people when they buy my pickups, they're doing it as part of this process. And, oh, yeah, I'm getting a refret or a refin and I'm going to get you know, new saddles and I'm getting these freeze-dry, decaffeinated bloody nut put on. <laughs> you know, I say don't. Don't. Don't even change the strings. Just swap the pickups and see what happens. Uh-huh. Because, you know, it's like driving around in a Ferrari, you know, and they've got a high-end engine in it. It's... it's Nuts and bolts of this whole thin body electric, and I keep saying thin body because I don't want to get down to the 335s and the yeah, sure. stuff. It's sure. a little bit different. But effectively, you get good pickups and strings, and you're a good player, you can drop a set of pickups in any old fence paling and it'll sound good. Yeah, right. You know, and I won't even start on how many people have been around here with $12,500 John Cruise Master Built straps that sounded rubbish. Yeah, right. Wow. And why did they sound rubbish? Because the pickups are the same ones that are in the other cheap ones. Okay. So it does, doesn't matter, you know, all the case candy in the world and the hand-selected wood and hand-finished, 12500 bucks. Wow. Now, you buy a $12,500 John Cruise Master Build, it's a big call to take it around the bloody Rod McQueen's garage and have the pickups ripped out. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But they do it, and I don't know. Yeah, and I, even in the last two weeks, I've had three or four custom shops Master built around here, Strats and Kelly's. Wow. That's so, cool. Yeah, it, and it's, you know, 
and Fender and people like that love to sell a $3,000 master-built body that um, really, it's just the wood. And the, the wood is a tactile thing. Sure, it makes a difference the way the thing feels and that can relate to how you play and things. Yeah, but as yeah. far as changing the tone, mm-hmm. no. Again, you've got a nut and a saddle hole and the strings are pinched off between those two and they yeah. sit in the air and vibrate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything else is really quite incidental. Yeah, right. You talk about strings. Are you, are you talking about different gauges or the materials? Primarily gauges. Yeah. No, look, I don't get into the, the brand or flat wound or this or that. Purely the gauge. I mean, what you're talking about here is a, a pickup produces a magnetic flux pool above itself from the poles. Hey, the magnetic poles produces. Yep. So if you can put on the X-ray spec and look at it, you can see these little magnetic blooms where the strings vibrate. Now. Obviously, a thicker string is more metal, exponentially more metal, especially, say, from a set of nines to, say, tens or elevens, especially up on your treble strings. Yeah. So a little skinny skinny nine to an eleven is a huge difference in metal volume. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. You know, not so much a 52 to a 48 on a bass string, but, um, you know, if you can take a set of... If you're looking for a nice, you know, bluesy, fat tones with lots of mids and good body you know if you can get rid of that 10 even get to an 11 yep. leave the rest of the strings just swap that bottom of string um that, that little that little piece of metal struggling to sort of you know be heard in the mix so yeah string gauge very important the more metal in there obviously the, the stronger and and uh and uh, denser the signal will it'll produce when it's, it's moving around in that magnetic flux pool mm-hmm. if so, and- yeah, sure. And then, I mean, the player, obviously, the the attack, um, just all, yeah, all the nuances not, from yeah. the hands. That's yeah, yeah that's that's obviously going to make a huge, a huge impact. And then and yeah, the pickups, yeah. as you say, I'm always knocked out when you see those videos. Um, there was a great one. Eric Johnson picked up uh, Zach Wilde's <laughs> guitar and plugged into Zach Wilde's rig. So he's got you know he's gone from. You know, vintage strats into vintage marshals. Now, you know, he's playing a guitar with active pickups um, into a really high gain situation, and it sounds like Eric Johnson. It's it's yeah. crazy. I, I I know. I I do a lot of work with Frank Gabisa. Uh-huh. He's a fantastic listener here in Sydney. I'm yeah, sure a lot yeah. Of local listeners would know Frank, Definitely. and he tells the same story. Of, um, you know, I might have a couple of the actual details wrong, but he was he. Frank, the bass player, and he, they were doing a gig over at his, I think it was a boat shed or somewhere in Manly. And um, someone like Dave Leslie was in the audience and um, just came up and, you know, they were chatting. And he next set, he jumped up and just put on the guitar and didn't touch a setting, yep. played the guitarist, and totally sounded like he. Yeah, right. You know, so same, same story. So, yeah, the player is key to the whole thing. That's why I said number one. You know, player is very important. Uh, the pickups and then the strings and that the rest of the stuff. I mean, if, if you got Eric Johnson up there with you know, Zach Wilde's guitar and you change the saddle, it's not going to sound any different. Than yeah. Back up. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but people, you know, I guess if you go out and spend you know four hundred bucks on a, a solid trim block and a new saddle, by the time you put it all back together, people are going to hear what they want to hear and they go, oh yeah, I can hear that. Yep, definitely sustained, improved, and mm-hmm. has it, you know. I think it was Pete Northcote said, guitarists hear with their eyes. Yes, he, is, he said that to me as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's, oh, that one stuck, and it's such a, it's so true. 
And, um, you know, and if you've had, a, you know, decades of playing and, and hearing things and understanding things and believing that Rose was does this and something does that, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, it's a bit like a religion. You can't tell someone that's not what happened. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder how much of it is the feel as well. And I think you alluded to this earlier. Like I've got a, my main guitar is a Strat style, you know, bolt-on neck. I've also got a set neck guitar. Same scale length, 25 and a half inch, different pickups, but essentially I can make them sound similar, but the set neck does feel a little, the notes feel a little bit different in my hand, um, which I then I think makes me play a little different. It's not necessarily, oh, wow, this thing sounds from another world. I've got a, you know, another animal on my hands. It's actually, um, it's still a guitar with six strings and it's still sounding essentially the same through my amp. It's just the, the different feel makes me respond differently. Sure, and that's a part of that tactile thing. I mean, if you get a, you know, go out and get a really nice, you know, swamp ash body that's really light, and you like the colour, and it feels good, and then you know the neck's got nice rounded edges, and it plays, and you know the, the, the radius and all suits you. Yeah, sure, that's going to change you as a player, yeah, and yeah, that sure. again is it's one one of the key things. Um, and if you're enjoying, it and the tone's good, and you know that feels right, and you know everything falls falls at hand properly well that that's extremely important um however you know that that's something that's very difficult to quantify yes but that's yes. yeah and that's where it comes down to you know that's why i say to people go out and find a guitar it doesn't have to be expensive whatever you like you know one of these you know squires or whatever if it do you like the feel of it you like the color it looks good you know stick a decent set of pickups in it and see what happens okay um you know but um, yeah, absolutely. It's it, having something that fits you and, and, and you enjoy playing and, and feels right is key to the whole deal. Right. Can I just play devil's advocate for a second? I've I've read quotes, and again, I'm not sure how commercially commercially uh, motivated these are. But if you I've heard quotes like, if you put a good pickup on a bad guitar, you're just going to more accurately amplify the guitar's shortcomings. Do you have a response oh, to that? Because you just mentioned, you know, put, put a great set in a squire. Yeah, look, a good set of pickups should do just that. They should pick up. Mm-hmm. And they should basically express, you know, what's going on with the string. But a, a bad guitar, you know, depends what you consider a bad guitar. But a, a bad guitar, normally people say, oh, this sounds crappy, but a bad guitar... It's got a if, if it's whole if a guitar can hold intonation and tune yeah, and all yeah. the rest of it and it, and it can be played well. Yeah. Again, it doesn't. If you, the pickups will then become key to the tone of that guitar. Okay. They they are what color and and create the the little eddy currents within them. That's what the scatter winding and that can do. You know, smooth things out and take all that nasty tops out of things. That, so yeah, look, if the guitar's working right, in other words, by working, in other words, the whole thing's, you know, holding it, it, its intonation, its tune, and everything's right. You get the pickup; it should it should sound fine. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not going to be a case of the pickups are going to make a horrible guitar sound more horrible because it sounds horrible because usually the pickups were horrible. Okay. Um, just you know, or that you know, once you fix up the you know the way the thing's tuning and all the rest of it. Um, what does the, you know, really the, the guitar, you know, the pickup care when the strings are sitting there buzzing away? Yeah. Um, so, look, I, I honestly 
believe, and I've got, okay, I'm a pickup maker, but I'm not, you know, it's, it's not um, life and death to me, but it's a case of that's just what I've found and that's my belief. Yeah. Um, and I'm backing that up by having hundreds of guitars come through here that sounded average yeah. and you put in a decent set of pickups, that's all. And they sound good. Yeah. Awesome. And some of these guys, these guys have got original vintage strats and things, and you know they find it very difficult to admit that all of a sudden their number four strat, which is the one they normally bring around, is they're you know, playing musical or something. Yeah. They start off with their number four. They'll give you a try with that one. Next thing they've got them in all of them. Yeah. Right. And you know, and for someone to admit that their amazing one and only sixty-two L series is sounds about the same um, it's a big call yeah sure but yeah so my answer to that that would be yeah look a a bad sounding guitar electric guitar thin body it's usually a a combination of you know bad setup and things but crappy pickups yeah okay switches switches and pots and capacitors and things like that do not save a a crappy sounding guitar you can make a good here we go Stating categorically, but you can't make a crappy guitar sound good by changing a capacitor or a pot or something sure, like that. Sure. Those a capacitor and a pot and those sort of things only ever take away. Tone is only ever something that takes away from the guitar. It doesn't add. Ah, interesting. So, because when you wind on tone, all you're doing is throwing that capacitor into the circuit, putting a massive amount of resistance across the pickup, which acts like a super hot wound pickup, and you take a treble sound. Simple as that. Okay. So that's why when you put the tone on, the thing sounds like you're throwing a blanket over the air. So good pickups should be able to be played wide open, and that includes tally and strap bridges and everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so by going out and buying an old capacitor or something like that, thinking you're going to make your guitar sound right, is, you know, to me, to my experience, is not going to be money well spent or a venture that's going to be very successful for you. Sure, sure. Can I ask about a couple of um, popular uh, ideas with pickups? You know, for, for the last few years, uh, two things. Number one, noiseless single coil pickups and coil splitting humbuckers. Um, what's your take on those? A lot of people have had a crack at you know maintaining a vintage single yeah. coil sound, but getting rid of the hum. Is that is that feasible? Yeah, look, what do you the think? hums. Are, look. There's a couple of types of guitarists, I think. There's a guy, the guys that worry about this hum a lot, and that, that some do it for a reason, like if you're recording and things, yeah, or yeah. sometimes you're, they'll be playing a room that's got a lot of noise involved. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the, you, you cannot get... If you want a true vintage-sounding guitar, you can't get it with active pickups. Uh-huh. You can... The latest thing is to go to the, the, the silent you know, single with the backplate systems, you know, like Illich and Sir yeah, and that are yeah. doing, where you're basically running a, a common wound set of pickups against a dummy coil, which is effectively making a, the whole set of reverse wound, reverse polarity set. Okay. But um, look, active pickups, it's again, it's a, a, a massive departure from the original recipe. It's basically a little stack single coil, uh, humbucker, sorry. Yeah. Um, and you are not even close to what originally came out of that Fender shop. Doesn't mean they're bad. If you like it, fine, but they're not going to sound like an original, you know, single coil, you know, with that 
the clarity and the chime and the airiness and then that, that you know, reaction to kick attack and all the rest of it. Um, as far as split humbuckers, yep. I'm, not a fa- I'm not a fan of those personally. Um, a humbucker, I only make one, as you mentioned. I yeah. make a vintage pack. That, that's it. Okay. You know, as far as I'm concerned, if you want to get humbuckers, there's a million of them out there. You know, there's thousands of people making their versions. Yeah. But to make an original vintage pass with you know cellulose, acetate, butyrate, bobbins that are that soft that they can't be wax potted, so it has to be hand wound and tight coiled, so you don't get microphonic feedback and all the other stuff that goes with it. That's what no one's doing properly. Right. Okay. Now to do a humbucker properly, you know. Gibson used to run them to about 5,000 turns of 42 wire on each coil, and they, that gives you around about a 3.8 per coil. Now, I don't think anyone would really want to run an underpowered 3.8 single coil. Yeah, pickup. sure. Um, and then you go and throw into the mix that uh, Humbucker's magnet system is different to a strap and tally, whereas you've got spacer bars and slug pieces touching the sides of a bar magnet redirecting the magnetic power upwards so it's not as an efficient system so you're getting an even less you know accurately read strings that's why humbuckers are a big fat area weapon you know they're not a clinical sounding thing like a single coil sure um so you go and throw all that into it split it in half and then try playing a a 3.8 you know single coil it's pretty lame so that's why a lot of these things that are split are you know 14k humbuckers yeah because they need to be loud enough that the halfway yeah, sounds half it. decent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's, that's it. And that's a whole other beast again. Yeah, right. So, and as I said, there's a lot of people doing that sort of stuff. And if you want that, you can find it somewhere. But um, sure. it won't be some mad. Yeah, so it's just not so much a vintage recipe anymore. It's just another. Nah, that's it. Another yeah, take, and, I guess. And I, yeah, and like you know, I'm quite happy just to you know to visit that vintage era stuff people you know there's a lot of people looking for that i mean a, a good set of vintage path humbuckers you know you, you see them for ten thousand dollars us yeah wow which is ridiculous you know um and again I've, I've had numbers of those come through the place and some of them you've got to wear gloves they're that grotty inside and dirty and sticky and the tapes all come off them and because they were covered there's all sorts of things been hidden inside as well so again they're you know, fraught with danger buying originals and those sort of things. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Full on. So, it is. But, um, you know, again, this is me just talking probably a little bit freely, but, um, you know, I'm just being honest of what I've found. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's cool. No, I appreciate it. So again, if, if you do the, again, the, the, the thing is, it's, it's not easy to do it how they used to do it because right. it's clumsy and it's slow and it's inefficient and that's why not many people do it. So Okay, yeah. You've got, in a lot of ways, I mean, you've got the runs on the board. Like, as I said, I, I found out about you through, you know, top top level players. So yeah. obviously they could play anything. So if they're, they're talking to you about pickups, that, that's a huge endorsement. Um, can we talk about that? Someone like, Troy Cassadaly, when he came on my show, he was so generous. He, he set up his whole rig, he mic'd up his whole rig, and then sent me the tape. So lots of my interviews are over the phone like this one, and, and that's usually fine. But to make sure the listeners could hear his rig, he, he mic'd it up, and then I put the two tracks together. And, um, man, his rig just yeah, sounded I remember, beautiful. I, I, 
someone sent me the link to that, and that's one of the reasons I found it about your oh, podcast. Okay. So I was yep. listen, I was listening to that, and I thought, God, it sounds good. I thought, I thought, are you in the same room? Or how's he done it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he told me, <laughs> yeah, look, he's a fantastic guy, and he's so generous with his time. And, yeah. Um, and you know, I've thanked him a number of times, and he just says, "Hey, buddy, just keep making great pickups." And again, he's one of these guys that he he's supportive and things but you know he can play what he wants and yeah. you know he he's you can't bull to guys like him yeah yeah i mean you know you can talk yourself up but the, you know the ian mosses and, and troy and they've seen it all and done it these guys have got you know years and years of experience and they know exactly what's what and yeah. um yeah and when when they do hear the, what they've been looking for it, it's it's a real thrill for them as well and um, I've, I've been, you know, like I said, I've had Troy, he was down here for the Easter show and he came over and, um, you know, came to the shop and, yeah, look, he's a fantastic guy and a great endorsement from him as well because, you know, I get a lot of people coming to me, um, hey, uh, Troy was telling me, you know, I need to come and speak to you about this and that. So, nice. yeah, awesome. Awesome, awesome work. And yeah, when I heard him on your show, I thought, oh, that sounds, you know, really good. <laughs> I just, yeah. But yeah, he's extremely generous. And if he likes something and he gets behind it, he's, he's a fantastic sort of endorsing. Yeah, that's great. How about Ian Moss? For, for me, he's just one of the the standout strat tones. Um, that neck pickup stuff on, on those chisel records. And uh, just, it still knocks me out. Tell me about working with him. Yeah, well, he's he came, he's been over as well, and he. What I normally do with guys um, like that that I'm that I'm happy to sort of work with, and I'll say, okay, look, they'll tell me what they're kind of after. I'll say, just take a set of these fifty nine SRVs. Forget the name; these are just a vintage, correct set of pickups. They're a great reference point for what I make. Take those and see how you go. And, and that's what I did with it. And he put them in his, um, which one was it? Originally, it was a white, it's got a white fryer strap. Okay. And if, if you notice, if you have a look, and I hadn't really noticed, he uses one of those gypsy bridges, the ones with the reverse slant. Yes, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, you don't really notice them. But anyway, he had them in, in both his, it's part of his deal. And yeah. um, you know, a, lot of, a lot of people do that when they're trying for the Hendrix thing. You know, that's right. Know. Thirty stagger and reverse, you know, bridge angles and things. But so yeah, I gave him a set of those, and off he went, and he was super happy with them, and came back with his green strap, the seafoam green. Nice. And um, I thought, look, because I'm quite a big sort of advocate of pickups that are key to the tone of these things. There's no use just putting the same ones in; you're going to get the same results. So. For the second set, I put a you know a set of pickups that I actually came up with and did a bit of work with Mark Lazard with Diesel. Okay, um, which I can talk about again in a second. But yeah, I cool. put a set of those into it for him, and it's quite funny because I said, "Look, these are a warmer, fatter set of pickups, very similar, but their output's a lot lower. Um, great for the studio, for your solo gigs. You can use all positions. The bridge won't tear anyone's face off." Um, but, you know, be aware that they're, they're a little bit more mellow. So I think, you know, he, he took them out and tried to play them somewhere and get over the top of Barnsley or something with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it did, didn't quite cut the mix. So he, yeah. I remember he, saying, he came back and he said, look, I want to 
swapping for the other ones. And I said, all right, well, you know, bring it back. And um, in the meantime, he went into the studio to record the chisel and the producer loved it so much, um, he, he kept it. So they did what I thought. I did what they, I told him to do with it, which was yeah, right. great for the studio. Okay. <laughs> Don't try playing over the top of Barnsley with the bloody thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was the same thing we did with Mark, with Diesel. He was um, playing solo a lot. He wasn't using his Strat as much, but he loved his Strat. And we put in a set of pickups, basically exactly the 59 SRVs, but with an A2 magnet. Okay. Warmed them up sort of midier and a lot less top end and a lot less bite, so a lot smoother and warmer. And, yeah, you can go to a small venue like the basement. Um, unfortunately, I've heard yes. now about close. Yes. Um, you know, those sort of places and, or Brass Monkey or somewhere where you've got, a, you know, 100 people and yeah, you can right. play a strat. Yeah, cool. You know, and wide open and let rip without um, everyone racing off to the dentist on Monday to get the filling in place. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, so um, yeah, so that's uh, you know that's what sort of happened with with Ian. But um, you know, it's, I, I remember you know I'm not a lot younger than Ian, but um, you know when you have people like that, it's hard not to be a fan, you know, and they come to see you on a professional level. So I, I, I've avoided getting them to sign things or photos and stuff. So yep. I, I probably sure. sh- should have, but <laughs> no, it's it's, it's, it's a it's a real spin out for me, you know, and a real personal endorsement. You know, I really enjoy, you know, working with those sort of guys because, you know, you think back to driving up to Queensland as a kid listening to Chisel on the car and the one cassette. Yeah. Um, and, and you've got him asking you, you know, questions. So, yeah, it's um, awesome. Yeah, very, extremely satisfying. And, you know, it's, it, it, yeah, it, it's great. So, same with Troy and all these other guys. And, and you get a lot of, you know, there's, you know, there's been other people, big names that I've worked, you know, with and done things for that, you know, you never hear about again. Right. Um, so, you know, it's these guys are, are, are fantastic, you know, to work with and you learn a lot as well. So, Excellent. and the good thing about it is if, you know, you know, it's a no book endorsement if these guys are you know, actually using it because it's important to them and they know tone and they know what works. And, yeah. you know, if they're using your stuff, it's a great, you know, personal rap for me to know, hey, you know, you walk into a, a gig and see Diesel up there doing a 13-minute, you know, encore of crying shame and he's using your pickups, it's a, it's a real buzz. Yeah, that's awesome. That's the bottom line, isn't it? I mean, really, like it you is. said, these guys yeah, could play is. anything there and they're, they're coming back to you and getting you to help help them pull their tones. That's that's super cool. No, it is. So, and, you know, that's, and I guess, you know, I'm, I'm really quite fussy things and I've had a few people, you know, they'll say things like, oh, you know, make sure you make me a good set. You know, I think I don't have any other sets. <laughs> you know, I don't. What a question. It doesn't matter if they're going to, you know, Eric Clapton to be played at Crossroads or they're going to, you know, you know, Johnny having his first music lesson. I, yeah. It's the same. Yeah, cool. So, and I think that's one thing that you have to bear in mind, you know, and, and that's another stumbling point for the commercial side of things is you can't, I can't get anyone else to really do anything. I don't, I don't even trust anyone else to put the bloody rubber band on the packet, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's really, it's, it's really quite limiting. Yeah. But, um, sure. very, very satisfying. So yeah, it's, um, wonderful. 
it's a great fun and it's a good, you know, I've just found the, you know, the guitar community to be, um, you know, very supportive and, in, and especially within Australia and within Sydney and, you know, right. you try and work with a lot of the other guys and people like um, Pierce Crocker and, and Frank Rabisa and there's, you know, there's heaps of others, you know, Rick, Freddie Spence and, and there's a lot of these guys that are working around the place, you know, putting a lot of effort into their guitars and, and they come to you for the, 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 the key part. Yeah, and, um, well, that's very cool. Yeah, it is, and you know, I, I've learned a lot from those guys as well. So it's a lot of give, give and take, and so it's been yeah, it's been a real real journey, and it's still going. So fantastic, Rod. Rod little things like this, mate. Yeah, little things like the podcast. Yeah, cool, man. It is, mate, and uh, it's just you know, it, it's a it's a, a good chance just to have a bit of a chat about things. I mean, there's a like you said, I've only scratched the surface on what's going on with, you know, what people are doing. But, you know, yeah. there's, as far as couple of guys, you know, just you've probably got a fantastic guitar. You don't need to fuck around with too much else, you know. I, I've had guys about to go out and buy, you know, $12,000 point-to-point hand-wired amps thinking that's going to fix their problems. Yeah. You know, it, it won't. <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> Right, it's been fascinating talking. I've loved it. So I, I think we definitely need to do a follow-up. Um, what's, what, Mate, any time. What's the best way for people to um, to find out about you or, or get in contact with you? Oh, look, mate, I've got a website, sliderspickups.com. Yep. Um, a Facebook, you know, if you just type, you Google sliders pickups, yep. and, you know, but basically my website. Yeah, okay. You can a website. They want to have a look at some things. Um, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Too easy. Okay. That's great. Well, Rod, thanks again, man. And, um, yeah, we will definitely catch up again. But thanks for joining us today. I've I've loved speaking with you. No worries, Matt. It's been a pleasure. All right. There you go, my conversation with Rod McQueen. And, yeah, we'll definitely get Rod back to talk more about, you know, some of the 101, some of the basics of pickups and and things that guitar players need to know. But really cool to hear his take on, on vintage tone and his journey to get there and, some of the great artists that he has worked with. Very, very cool. Now, after the interview, Rod said, you know, let's wait for the hate mail to come in Uh, because he does say some things that challenge some of the preconceptions that that abound in guitar tone land, especially in the interweb. So, man, if you've got any comments on the show, I would love to hear them. If if you'd like to challenge anything you've heard here or if... uh, like me, you know, a lot of what Rod says really makes sense. You know, would love to hear from you too. So drop us a line. We're on Facebook or Instagram or you can email us at guitarspeakpodcast at gmail.com and, uh, yeah, would love to have a dialogue about that. By the way, we also have a Facebook discussion groups called Guitar Speak Forum on Facebook. You're welcome to look that up. Um, you you have to ask to join that, but we we have anyone and uh, you're welcome to talk about all sorts of guitar things not just the podcast but certainly that's a good spot for that as well alright now remember we've got another 80 odd episodes in the can we did speak to Peter Northcote we did speak to Troy Cassadaly um and other people who play other pickups and other stuff. So uh, you're most welcome to dig through our archives. We're on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or iHeartRadio or pretty much most um, podcast search engines you can find us. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me for another episode. We'll be back next time on the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling, and thank you again. Catch you next time.